Good morning, Grace. It is fantastic to see you all here and to hear you struggle through that song so mightily. Uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, you did, you did great. Um, that song holds a very, you know, before I get into that, Romans 1 is where we're turning and then I'll tell you the story, right? So Romans 1, uh, that song holds a very soft spot in my heart. Um, when I was an intern in, at Covington Community Church of the Brethren in Seattle, Washington, well in Covington, Washington, which is outside of Seattle, um, I walked in, I was in charge of the service one day as part of my internship, and I told our pianist and our organist, hey, you guys, you pick something for special music, sounds great. And I got there that morning, and, she, and our organist said, I picked out my tribute. I've never heard it before. And I went, great, sounds you, play it on. She goes, oh, no, you're going to sing it. And I went, no, I'm not. I don't know that song. She goes, no, 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 someone has to sing it. You can't just play it. And, and so she taught me that song that morning right before church, and I had to sing it for special, special music. So that song forever holds a special place in my heart, and I'm so glad that I'm not the only one who struggles to get through it. We're all in this together. Uh, sorry. Uh, and lastly, I just wanted to make sure our youth know uh, today is our youth rally, and that is at 1.30 at the Treverton Foundry, and that is rain or shine. Just to let you know, they're going to... Feed you anyway. If you show up, there's enough coverage there, and uh, I don't think anybody's going to complain about any rain we might get today. Uh, we might complain a little bit if we're parked really far away, uh, and then it starts raining, something like that, but I think we'll be all right. Uh, so come on out. It'll be great to have you. That's 1.30 to 8, and again at 6.30, if you want to come join us and you're not part of the youth, come on out because that's the, the speaker and the worship band will be going on at 6.30. Uh, so bring your own lawn chairs and you're, you're welcome to come join us if you'd like. So anyway, we are in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, reading through the end of the chapter. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have uh, seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. 
They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, we thank you for this day you've given us, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it brings to us. Lord, for the guidance that it provides for us. Lord, we ask that for this service we would be able to focus on you, and we would be able to hear what you would have for us. Lord, I ask you, bless Pastor Doug as he comes. Uh, Give him strength in his voice. Give him the boldness he needs to proclaim your truth to this group. Lord, I ask that we, as as we hear, would be attuned to what you would have for us, Lord, and that it would uh, affect our hearts and we would go from here, Lord, and let it affect our lives as well. Lord, we pray that you would just watch over this church, put your, your, your hands of blessing over us, your hands of protection, Lord. Lord, please bless our volunteers as they're ministering to our children as well right now. Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us and all that you will continue to do for us as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Elders and deacons, pay attention to this announcement. This coming Tuesday, we have our monthly gathering. And yet I was, ex- I was told to express a situation that you needs our immediate attention. You must be here instead of seven, you must be here at six because we're gonna eat. I'm glad one of the deacons is awake anyway. Can I get an amen from the congregation? We're gonna eat. We have a world famous Chef, that's going to be preparing for us a luscious meal. And so we're going to eat at six, stay awake till nine as we have our meeting. So please come early and enjoy fellowship and find food together. Is that okay, Daryl? Good. He, he's the chef. That's it. I was asked this morning a very good question. After we get finished with our study, The Death of a Nation, is there going to be a time when I can tie that all together from a biblical perspective? And yes, we're going to get there. We'll probably journey through Jeremiah. Ezekiel, Isaiah, we'll go through to Micah, Amos, and Andy. No, Andy's not part of the scripture. But, uh, yes, we will tie this all together because, as the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, that all that the nation of Israel did is at our disposal to make sure we don't make the same mistakes. And all that we've been going through, Israel has made those mistakes, the same ones. And so we will tie it all together. We're going to hopefully 
bring it all about into a relevancy of how does this relate from a biblical perspective, how does this all relate to our own nation? So please, uh, that's going to be coming in September. We'll finish this up in September. This morning, we, we, we come to another issue, and we're talking about a moral decay. As you can see, we're going to be speaking on the rise of immorality. When the passage that Pastor Steve read in Romans chapter 1, you're aware of a number of things there, but the one thing I want to draw your attention to are the two acts of the wrath of God. The first is what's called a passive wrath. I know those two terms don't seem to be correlating very well, but there is a passive wrath of God whereby God allows the natural, if you will, circumstances to present themselves through sin. The other wrath of God is determined by his destruction, a destruction wrath, such as that which was imposed upon Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis, and also that which we see coming during the great time of tribulation in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18. And so this morning, as Pastor Steve was reading this, you're made aware of what, God, what God's wrath is. It's passive. who God really was and the first thing that entered into their mind was let's worship idols and isn't it interesting that the first idol that is mentioned in that passage is man then birds then creeping things but man let's worship man and then from there from idolatry it goes into debauchery and from debauchery, 
it goes into a nation, a nation of disgrace. And so we're talking about, when we say immorality, we're talking about a life that is purposely lived, devoid of any knowledge of God. Another definition is immorality is sin against God. And in the scripture, immorality is relative to sexual sins, such as adultery, homosexuality, as well as prostitution and witchcraft. Immorality, sexual immorality, is highlighted 99.95% in the scriptures as being together. And lastly, the English word that is translated pornography comes from the Greek word porneia, which is immorality. When we come to understand of the rise of immorality, we become aware of a moral deregulation. Remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, deregulating all of history in order that it can be rewritten according to what the, quote, intellectuals want it to be. Well, that also happens in moral deregulation. What are we talking about? Divine, defining deviancy down. In an interesting article that was wrote in 1993, I know this is late, but it's still very evident for today. In 1993, the winter edition of the American Scholar, look at this particular article. It says, the amount of deviant behavior in American society has increased beyond the levels of the community can afford to recognize, and that, accordingly, has been redefining deviancy so as to accept much contact previously stigmatized and also quietly raising the normal level and categories where behavior is now abnormal by any earlier standard. Did you catch the, the intent of this article? In other words, let's make everything deregulated so that the horrendous level that it can go to can also be described as, oh well, it's all normal. Society sociologist James Q. Wilson said this, Society talked itself out of having a moral sense. Society has talked itself out of having a moral sense. Moral deregulation in our American society has created four things. Number one, has led to higher crime rates. Because now no longer thievery is looked at as being stealing. Remember I told you that the reason the government doesn't like stealing is because they don't like competition. Have you heard of a thing of taxes? 
Have you been keeping up that the latest tax bill that was just passed in the Senate, what's it go, what it's going to do to our society? You check it out. The next thing it has done and is doing is, is destroying the traditional family. Family is now being deregulated so that if you wish to marry your dog, now you become a family. If you desire to marry three or four wives, now an individual that wants to do that needs a checkup for the neck up. I've got one. And that's all I want. Can I get an amen from the men in the congregation? That's all I want. Lord have mercy. But the destruction of the traditional family is being deregulated so that the deviancy of our society is now looked at as being normal. It's okay. This is an interesting one, too. An explosion of psychosis and mental disorders. You wouldn't think that. But that's what it's doing. And lastly, but according to the liberal perspective, the way to deal with these problems is not to punish crime, reform, go back to the traditional family, or give moral guidance for these maladies, but to define them away, to define deviancy down. Here's one that'll make your blood boil. Political indecency. Here's a quote from a columnist by the name of Joe Klein when he said, it is impossible, of course, to pinpoint the precise moment when moral relativism became acceptable public policy, but the structures of moral authority were systematically removed from the poorest neighborhoods. What did that produce? I'm sorry, I, I didn't give you this one. I just read that one. Do we need time to copy that down? You all writing? No, okay, I kind of thought so. Here we go. What it did is it produced a series of legal judgments which made it harder for teachers to discipline their students. And because he's speaking of poorest neighborhoods, he's saying, and for housing projects to screen their tenants. Back in the day, when I went to school, we had this feisty old teacher. Rephrase that. We had this feisty mature teacher who I remember seeing her no more than five foot one pinning 
a basketball player, six foot five, against the wall with both of her hands, slamming his head against the wall, saying, you will never do that again in my class. Our shorter people, we said, mm-hmm. <laughs> then she took him and threw him out the door and said, go to the principal's office. He's expecting you. All you teachers here today, if you did that today, what would happen? First of all, you'd be fired. And secondly, you'd be in a court of law being sued. Because we have deregulated morality, we're not even allowed to even to correct it anymore. What did this also do? And we see this now. According to this article, the cop on the beat was seen as an occupying force and removed. Defund the police. That's what we have. We talked about this a little bit earlier when we talked about the growth of our political system as far as overreaching and losing. But, but here's something, the loss of religious values and the enormous growth of the secular state have brought about changes that no nation has ever been able to survive. That's where we are. The biblical moral values once taught in schools have been banished due to the belief that the discussions of right and wrong are no longer allowed because they involve value judgments. What's right for you is not right for me. Everything is relative. Nothing is absolute. And no wonder moral responsibility is disappearing. If I say the word to you, Ted Kennedy, what comes to your mind? Many of you here are too young to know. <laughs> A lot is right. He's about the only senator. I don't care if this gets censored. I, I don't care. We're not on YouTube or Facebook anymore, so I'm just going to let it rip. He's the only senator who was never investigated for murdering somebody. He let a woman drown in his car and he walked away. The goings on of a former president, even in the Oval Office, was viewed as none of our business. 
And from that, now we have a society that says, well, if they can do it, so can we. Now, I've got to be careful here because I am not exonerating the church either. Some things have happened in the church that are disgraceful. And it's a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm getting hot. And how dare we even lead people to think that that kind of action is acceptable to God. Where pastors are having sexual relations with other women and also boys. And it's swept under the rug. That leads us to what we call immoral indoctrination, which is this, the humanist perspective. They say there are no absolutes. Apparently, they've never tried jumping off of a building. They will meet an absolute. There are no absolutes, no sources of ultimate truth and meaning, and no predominant value system. They say in many schools, students are being programmed with ideas about the sacredness of the environment and the moral significance of tolerance and diversity. And students are being told that American history is a record of abuse and exploitation. We had the privilege of living in probably one of the most beautiful cities in the United States at one time. Portland, Oregon no longer is that. But while we were there, Periodically, we would get a knock on the door. And they weren't Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses. They were individuals gathering funds for saving of the seals. What they forgot is that the saving of the seals brought sharks to the coast. It's a feeding ground. I wouldn't give them money, by the way, but I didn't give them a question. I said, what about the unborn babies? Of the seals? No, 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 no. Not of the seals. Of the humans. Billy Graham and, and, and also former President Ronald Reagan said it well when he said, the ones who support abortion are alive. The ones who support abortion are alive.
under the disguise of multiculturalism, students are being taught that our founding fathers were slavers who killed the Indians and practiced imperialism. I'm not saying our founding fathers were uh, pristine in their lives. I'm not saying that at all. But I will say this, I heard a panel discussion of three. And the one in the middle made a decree. He said, the Constitution needs to be wiped out because it was created by individuals who had slaves, which is immoral. So we need to get rid of it. My question then, though he didn't hear me, who's going to rewrite it? I don't think we have the moral fiber to rewrite what the original writings were about. First of all, they would eradicate God. Where every individual is endowed from their creator. Inalienable rights. How are they going to rewrite that? Creator's gone. What are they going to put in there? Every individual is endowed by some life force? Oh, now that's a good thing, isn't it? I'm getting all jacked up. I'm sorry. And because their knowledge of history has been corrupted, many of them become easy targets for political ideologies of liberal teachers and university professors and the cultural elites have become their models for behavior. Now we come to unhealthy values. I put the attack of the scouts. Where the Boy Scouts of America have been criticized for being homophobic. Not only that, but here's a quote from a former Surgeon General of the United States, Jocelyn Elders. Four things she said. First, Christians are to blame for the problems in this nation because they are suspicious of sexuality. I think the religious right at times thinks that the only reason for sex is procreation. Yeah. Yes. But we, well, I feel that God meant sex for more than procreation. Really? Honey, we've been getting this wrong for 48 years. But what she means by that is this. We taught kids what to do in the front seat, and now it's time to teach them what to do in the back seat. 
the Attorney General of the United States proclaiming this garbage. Oh, here's the one that fires me up. As for those who disagree with abortion rights, Christians need to get over their love affair with the fetus. So we have to ask ourselves, where did all of this come from? How was it that the moral fiber changed in our society? Who is stroking the proverbial lie? Ideologues whose mission is to make a good, a God of mankind and a myth of God. Okay, well, well who are they? Karl Marx. Jean-Paul Sartre. Using a little of my French lingo from high school. And their goal, along with others, is to insult and assault tradition because they are rebels against society. The first one, Karl Marx, should ring something to you. He is the designer of Marxism, Marxists. Jean-Paul Sartre, he was a disciple of Karl Marx in France. And now we have other ideologues who are proclaiming the same exact thing. In particular, they attack morality and Christianity. There can be no place for God. There can be no, if you will, even an acquaintance of a larger spirit being. It can be nothing. Man is the determiner of right and wrong. And as one individual who disagrees with these tactics, he is recorded as saying, because the very idea of the existence of a just God who condemns sin interferes with their sexual desires. Moral anarchy. The attack of the moral foundations of our nation are fostered by intellectuals who are nothing more than moral anarchists who attack every form of foundational truth to expose anti-everything. In their own vernacular, they are obsessive brats, kicking, screaming, and throwing temper tantrums against the hard-won wisdom of the world. 
So what are we to do? I know I've inundated you with so much information, I know. But what are we to do? Well, first of all, we ought to be thankful to God that there are Christian intellectuals who use biblical reasoning and truth to hold back the tide of wrong. There's still that witness. There's still salt and light out there. Teachers that are here in this church who have the joy and the privilege of teaching other children, they're still salt and light. And I'm thankful for that. But I love what Isaiah 59, 19 has to say. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. In Isaiah 59, you know who that is? Me and you. He will use us to raise a standard against evil. What's our standard? Everybody help me out. What's our standard? Boy, that's pretty weak. One more time. What's our standard? The word of God. That is our standard. And I make no apologies for it. I love apologetics. But apologetics is not about making an apology for a truth. It is about defending the truth. We are the standard that God uses. In 2 Chronicles 16.9 it says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Whose heart is loyal. That's the question. And lastly, as always, pray. We can pray. For a moral awakening in our nation. I don't know if that's going to happen. I am not in the camp that it's too late yet. No. I think there's still hope. Why is there still hope? Because we're still here. I do believe that Gabriel is developing his trumpet lip. He's getting close. And when it blows, those who have trusted Christ, we got to go. Now, when we go, the Holy Spirit goes, and then it's too late. So we're still here. There's still hope. But believe me, I'm not looking to stay here any longer than what God wants me to. I'm not driving my stakes deep in this earth. I got a ministry to do. I've got a mission to fulfill. And when it's done, gone. And that's with all of us. We have a mission 
And the mission is to make disciples, our next door neighbors, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our co-workers. Yes, even individuals that we know that belong to the LGBTQ group. That's our mission, to tell them that there is hope, to reward them and to know that there is love in Jesus Christ that can change their lives, that can set them free. That's our mission. And that's what God has determined us to do. Not to sit back and begin singing the Doris Day song, Kesarasara. No. We are called to bring down the truth of heaven and place it in the history of this earth. That's what we are to do. And we can do that because when the enemy comes in, God raises a standard against them. And he does it by his spirit who lives in you and in me. We can stop it. We can. The question is, are you willing? Let's pray. Dear Lord, The days seem to be so dark. But the one thing I know about darkness is this. That's when the light shines the best. And we have the light. The light of your word. The light of our relationship with you as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We've been commissioned to bring this light into a dark world. We are to be salt in a world that is decaying. And we can do that based upon the authority of God's word. Yes, speak the truth in love. Be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves, yes. But be ready to give an answer of the hope to anyone who would ask you with all godly fear and trembling. We're to be witnesses. We are to be ambassadors. And sometimes we're even called to be warriors. All for the kingdom of God. And to you be the honor and the glory and the power and the dominion, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let us stand for the benediction, please. in the 
church through Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore. And God's people would say, Amen. Amen.